Chapter 4, Part 6 of Pioneer Work in Opening the Medical Profession to Women by Elizabeth Blackwell. The Sleebervox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 4, Part 6 Study in Europe, 1849-1851 Notes from the Journal, July 4th Attended lessons by the aide sage-femme, very clever instruction. Spent the day in the salle d'accouchement, but was disgusted by the treatment of a primipara. With all the instruction they have received, the very first principles of humane treatment seem too often neglected. They are still ignorant midwives with their mischievous interference. The version seemed to me horrible. I almost fainted. Spent the night in the infirmary, weary work. I cannot bear this loss of sleep. Today, three operations. Much interested in the morning, but grew weary and disgusted in the afternoon. July 22nd. Attended the interne's visit and spoke to him about one of the patients. He replied so pleasantly that I said a little more, and he promised to lend me a medical journal to look over and see how I liked it. The little friendliness encouraged me. August 12th. The poor woman whom I have attended as my first complete patient gave me a little pre-dieu which she had made. Her humble heart longs to express its gratitude. I put it in my Bible where my friends are reading today. M. Dubois again waited after the lecture to say a few pleasant words. He wished I would stay a year and gain the gold medal, said I should be the best obstetrician, male or female, in America had quite a pleasant visit to the infirmary, where M. Blot made me observe several interesting points and answered my questions intelligently and frankly. August 24th. Quite taken by surprise at the infirmary visit this afternoon, M. Blot met me so pleasantly and asked me to give him some lessons in English. I think he must have been meditating this request for some time. It had hardly the air of a spontaneous thought. I like him. I hope we may come a little more closely together. September 2nd. I have been quite happy for three hours. I must note down what I've learned. M. Blot brought his microscope to the Infirmerie de Ileva. I was exceedingly interested in his microscopic lecture. He showed us, in a work of M. Hebert's, the difference between the epithelium pave mantu, such as covers the tongue, skin, etc., and the epithelium vibratile, as in other parts and the fibroplastic formations and the reparation of tissues, showing specimens of each kind. 
The first species was represented by a cellule full of little cellulae, a noyau in the center containing a nucleus, thus the second was of elongated form, thus the third represented the growth of fiber from cells, which cells are distinguished from the first by the relatively smaller size of the noyau, thus... By such examination, different formations can be distinguished from each other. Thus, cancer possesses very distinctive elements. It is necessary to examine bodies of varying shapes under different foci of the microscope. Otherwise, illusions may be created. In illustration, he placed some blood globules and showed us that what appeared a central spot in each globule was owing to the convexity not being in focus, and it disappeared when the focus was a little lengthened. He spoke also of a paper read before a society yesterday by a young physician, which proved that the azote, which in the ox is voided by the excrement, in the cow is absorbed into the milk, and that the difference in the manure of the two is great. He is busy himself now in preparing for an examination of internae. If he gain the gold medal, he has the right to enter any hospital he chooses as internae for a second term, and receive also his M.D., not otherwise granted to an internae. What chance have women shut out from these instructions? Work on, Elizabeth. Today M. Blot spoke of a friend, Claude Bernard, a distinguished young inquirer who is now, he thinks, on the eve of a discovery that will immortalize him, viz. the discovery of an accessory circulation by which substances are sent directly to the kidneys without traversing the general circulation, which will explain, for instance, the rapid effect of champagne on the kidneys. This second heart is situated in the ascending vena cava, close by the liver. Strong muscular fibers are evident in the human subject, but in the horse are as large as quills. He does not perceive yet what veins return the blood, if his supposition to be true. He also spoke of the power which the liver has of secreting sugar in a normal state, when animals are fed on certain substances which can be so converted. Also of the curious experiment by which a dog was made, in his presence, to secrete albuminous or diabetic urine, according to the pricking of one or another point of the pneumogastric nerve near its origin. Footnote. I was, at that time, utterly unaware of the amount of degrading cruelty perpetrated by many foreign investigators upon helpless animals under methods erroneously called scientific. 
It required the extended observation of the physician to realize the intellectual fallacy necessarily involved in experiments which destroy the thing to be observed and also to recognize how the constant promulgation of false theory and practice arising from erroneous methods of investigation hinders the attainment of scientific medicine. I have long since realized that conscience and humanity must guide intellectual activity and curiosity, or we wander from the high road of truth into a labyrinth of error. The above experience illustrates how the eager young student, thirsting for knowledge, may be blind to the unscientific or immoral methods of pseudoscience. End footnote. At the afternoon visit, we had quite a philosophical discussion on society, etc., Mademoiselle Mallet was delighted with a bon mot of M. Blot. She remarked that she understood that Les Demoiselles had answered like Ange. Yes, he answered, en outan légie. They had been unusually stupid. She asked me if M. Blot were not rather moquis. I said I did not know, but that I had discovered that he was very ambitious. His sentiments seem to be good, but his character is certainly not French. September 21st. M. Dubois stopped to speak to me after the lecture, and again expressed his great desire that I should remain a year in the institution. I told him I had determined to remain another three months, but I had many other branches to study. He replied that anything else I might learn elsewhere as well as in Paris, but that the opportunity of seeing all that was remarkable in 3,000 deliveries in that space of time could be met with nowhere else in the world that it equaled the whole practice of most physicians, and he was persuaded that I should regret it if I did not remain. He parted, saying he would talk the matter over again with me. If it be pure interest that makes him urge this, I am glad, but it seems to me now an impossible endurance. October 4th. Another Midnight Scene a strange spectacle of suffering and of science. As I stood on the crowded benches of the amphitheater, I heard the clock strike one, the holy noon of night. I wondered how long our sins would thus be fearfully visited upon us. The rain beat in torrents on the skylight, the wind shook the building, and I could look with intense interest on that rare and dangerous accident submitted to our investigation. Lithotomy, the only way to save life. A tedious operation lasting, I should think, an hour, for in the hurry of midnight dressing I had forgotten my watch. Tonight I have been walking in the wood. The wind blows fresh under the clear starlight. 
I am happier now that my mind is clearly determined to leave at the end of six months, with the conviction that my work here is thoroughly done. October 30th. Madame Charrier sent for me this afternoon to present me with my portrait. It was a lithograph picture of Elizabeth Blackwell, taken from a history of Sage Femme Celebre. This lady, about 1737, published a work on medical botany in two large folio volumes in order to get her husband, a medical man, out of prison, where he was confined for debt. I imagined a whole romance out of the picture and a little biography, a romance of a beautiful true spirit struggling with a society too strong to be turned from its ancient habits of evil. But the pure spirit is not lost, it is working bravely still. A Sortie from La Maternité October 22nd Dear friends, one and all, Yesterday I spent a delightful day, a day which I passed in doing nothing, and it was so pleasant, so refreshing, that I must tell you about it. I had laid out so many plans for my first day of freedom. I was to see so many medical people, and so many medical places, that I was almost exhausted in the anticipation and when my leave of absence actually came, when all things worked right, and I was neither en service, nor in the infirmary, nor in the reception, and when, moreover, for a wonder, it did not rain, I was just determined to give up everything like business, forget there was such a thing as medicine or such a place as the maternity, and give myself up like a child to the pleasure of looking and moving and eating and everything that was natural and nothing that was wise. In fact, I found that I could really do nothing of business in a satisfactory way in the short space of eleven hours." so my troublesome conscience for once was quiet and permitted me to waste a day. I was really amused at myself to find how anxious I was that it should not rain, and how impatient I was for the moment to arrive when I could leave, for by the rules of the place Anna must take me out, and Anna must bring me back precisely at eight o'clock. The directeur could not help laughing when he informed me of these regulations. Still, as he said, no exceptions could be made. Anna was anxious that I should lose no portion of my short day. She woke up an hour earlier than usual, with the sense of some weighty responsibility resting upon her, which she could not at first understand, but as the idea of the maternity dawned upon her, she rose in haste, and at nine o'clock the summons for Mademoiselle Blackwell was shouted forth under the windows of my dormitory. You must know 
that these sorties are quite an event to the Ileva. They gather about the happy departing one with all manner of good wishes for her enjoyment and safe return. So while one hooked my dress, another fastened my gloves, a third arranged my collar, the rest admired with the often repeated compliment, Oh, que vous êtes belle! and all sped me on my way with the pleasant greetings of their kind, light hearts. How gay and free and delightful the city seemed to me after my four months' imprisonment, four months shut up within the high boundary wall of the institution, with the sky above the tops of tall houses only visible, and all life concentrated in a single subject. My chest seemed to grow broader as I stepped over the threshold and saw no barrier before me but the beautiful Luxembourg garden on one side and unending streets on the other. The variety of busy life, the gay dresses, the cheerful houses looked charming to me. I was surprised to find how strange everything seemed. I really saw Paris again for the first time and criticized everything as on my first arrival. We walked down the long avenue that led from the observatory to the garden. On each side are nursery grounds on a much lower level than the great central avenue. They form a large lake of trees and flowers on each side the promenade. We descended into the beautiful flowery labyrinth to admire the magnificent dahlias of all colors and in immense quantities. The French are very fond of what they call corbeil, there is one in every court of the maternity. It is a large, round plot of ground, filled to overflowing with every variety of bright flower, enclosed by a trellis work that is covered inside and outside by morning glories, nasturtiums, etc., so that it is nothing but a hedge of flowers." The nursery grounds we walked through were full of these, which sent forth a delicious odor, and occasionally they were varied by an enclosed grass plot, hollowed out, and kept in the most beautiful order, with bright borders of flowers. As we ascended to the garden, I was struck by the noble trees, dressed now in their varied autumn robes, through which the marble statues and antique palace sparkled as brightly as in the green summertime. We were saluted by showers of dead leaves, which gave the children much sport and the keepers much trouble. By the western gate is the immense block of buildings in which Anna has her pretty appartement. She introduced me to them, for the change of residence had been made since my retirement from the world, and I duly admired the elegant furniture, carved ceiling, tasteful paper, and above all the pretty lookout upon a long avenue of trees whose autumn foliage shed a warm glow through the rooms. 
At half past twelve, we hurried off to attend a magnetic seance at the Baron du Bottet's, which commenced precisely at one o'clock. And finding the omnibus too slow, we jumped into a cab with a lady who was bound on the same errand. Now, I must describe a magnetic seance to you but I beg that you will receive the description with becoming seriousness, for I have a decided respect for M. Dupotet, and if any risibility should be excited, it will proceed from your own nervous imagination, and not from my sober portraiture. These revelations of a higher sphere of existence are received up several pairs of stairs in the back room of a house situated in the heart of the city. It is a large, somewhat darkened room, hung round with curious pictures and lined with very curious people. Mesmer occupies a large frame carved with firebrands and anchors and other significant images. He looks fixedly at a pale lady hanging opposite to him, who has evidently undergone several magnetic crises. There are some verses framed and hanging very near the ceiling, surrounded by a thick wreath of yellow immortelle, but I have not yet been able to decipher their meaning. On the seats lining the walls, about fifty persons assemble. It is an original assembly always, though it seems to be constantly changing. There was a lady with a small hole in her cheek, a child with a crooked neck, and the painter to the king of Sweden, with very light eyes and hair, and great impressibility, with his companion who laughs and says, Oui, monsieur, to every question addressed to him and the son of the English consul to Sicily, who displays a large amount of good clothes, good flesh, a little peaked mustache, and an immense amount of enthusiasm. But it would be difficult to give all the varieties of structure and expression in this group of believing heretics, some looking very fierce, some very sheepish, some with features turned up, some with them turned down, and some with them turned every way. The folding doors of this room open into a small cabinet, which is always opened on these occasions to receive Madame Dupotet and all the impressible ladies who form a circle inside, and go through many sympathetic maneuvers during the magnetizing in the larger room. That is to say, the impressible ladies perform various antics, for Madame Dupotet, who is fat, fair, and forty, seems in no way affected, but looks on with smiling health and assists the nervous ladies. There was one remarkably fat dame, seated just within the folding doors, who had powerful fits of nervous twitching, which gave her a singular appearance of pale, tremulous red jelly. It would be impossible to describe the ornaments of M. Dupotet's study cabinet, the mystic symbols and black-letter books of the black art, 
but there is a little metallic mirror of oval form traced with magic characters which exerts a truly wonderful effect upon impressible subjects, exciting an ecstasy of delight or a transport of rage, but always an irresistible attraction for all who are affected by the magnetic influence. While M. Dupote has been displaying it to the one particular object of his attention, half a dozen others steal up from all parts of the room to seize the prize one little old lady under the magnetic influence came tottering up with the drollest expression of violent jealousy on her face and with her clenched fist prepared to fight the other equally eager disputants for the possession of this wonderful mirror unfortunately this particular meeting passed without any of those singular occurrences which are said sometimes to electrify the spectators i heard much of the ecstasy of a young man which had thrilled every person present believer or non-believer the meeting before in which the ordinary law of gravitation seemed to be superseded and the entranced soul would actually have fled up into the heaven it was striving for had not M. Dupote clasped the body tightly in his arms and commanded it back. But though no miracle was wrought, the faithful audience hung with intense interest on every manifestation of simple magnetic power. The aspiring features assumed a higher aspect— the downward ones bent more determinedly, and the red jelly became more tremulous at every fresh magnetization. And when the seance closed, everybody shook everybody's hand and found it good to have been there. Now, do not think my picture is a caricature. Verily, I am very serious. There is an odd side to all reformers to all who are pursuing a new idea earnestly, that is very whimsical. I am obliged to laugh at it, and yet I have true respect for M. Dupote. Though he believes in ancient magic, though he lives in the hope of working miracles, I really believe him to be an honest, enthusiastic man, engaged with his whole soul in pursuing what seems to him the most important of all discoveries. His manner is perfectly unpretending, his conversation full of good sense. For twenty-five years he has pursued the same object, through suffering and ridicule and failure. He is honest, I am sure. How much truth he may possess— I am at present quite unable to say, for my position, whilst it has given me occasional glimpses of his proceedings, has given no power of really investigating them, but some time I hope to really study magnetism. As we walked back, we stopped at the Louvre. I longed to see again that rich collection of art particularly the statues that seemed more beautiful than ever. We called in the Rue de Seine, hoping to gratify my old landlady, but she was out. 
Then Anna introduced me to her reading room, where we studied the affairs of Europe and grew indignant at the barbarism which seems for the moment triumphant. Anna took great pleasure all day in filling me with all manner of eatables, having great faith in the very best beef, and I must confess that when dinner was concluded my dress felt a little tight at the waist. Punctually at eight o'clock the recluse retired again from the vanities of the world, but seriously the idle day refreshed me. I needed it, and feel all the better for a little change. End of chapter 4, part 6